0: Back in the fur shed, this is the Trapping Today podcast, and I am your host, Jeremiah Wood. Thank you for listening in. It's great to have you here. And the Trapping Today podcast is brought to you by Kotz Brothers Lures, dot com. If you're thinking about getting started trapping or you're looking for a place to get trapping supplies, try out Kotz Bros. They have a great website, lots of selection, uh, books, DVDs, lures and baits. Uh, traps, and a bunch of other things uh, that you can check out there at CotsBros.com. And we're going to have uh, more from Kyle tonight in this episode, so it's great to uh, to have those guys sponsoring the podcast, and appreciate you guys supporting them and uh, placing your orders from CotsBros. podcast is also brought to you by Fur Harvesters Auction, where the world comes to buy wild fur. And we are in the middle of the fur harvesters auction uh, May sale right now. As I record this, I don't have any results yet. But this uh, the the sale is a Saturday Sunday auction, and uh, hopefully we'll have some results here for the next either next probably next week's episode. We'll have results to talk about. Uh, generally, of course, we're still in a low fur price period. However, it looks like there's a little bit of improvement in some articles. Uh, The higher quality beaver look like they're actually doing pretty well, seeing a little bit of improvement, which is kind of a surprise because beaver have been just uh, terribly priced for the last couple of years. Uh, But those high quality beaver seem to be uh, seeing a, a bit of an improvement. Uh, Fisher sounds like did not do so well but we'll have to wait and see with the results there um, and, uh, and the rest of the items. The only thing they're not selling in this sale is Bobcat and Martin. Those are going to go to Helsinki, Finland and be sold I believe in June. But check out harvesters.com for more information on the auction. Um, you know they these guys this this auction house is run by trappers and they're doing their best to get the top prices for your fur. They're located in North Bay, Ontario, Canada, but they ship fur from all over North America, and uh, pretty much anywhere you live, you can find a fur harvesters depot or a pickup location somewhere near you. Um, and you can learn more there at www.furharvesters.com, or call them at seven zero five four nine five four six eight eight thank you for harvesters so in tonight's episode of the podcast i got kyle kotz to talk about trapping in new mexico So this was a fun one I, I did enjoy it and i think that you will as well and stay tuned for next couple of episodes should be a couple more interesting things going on yeah you're gonna hear a little bit more from me i guess i i I didn't really plan it that way, but I think uh, I'm going to have Kyle interview me and talk a little bit about trapping today and what's going on here. Maybe it's a good way for you guys to learn a little bit more about myself and trapping today and a little bit of history there and kind of what goes on in my head uh, because I don't always share that with people necessarily. So, so that's coming, and then I had an interview with a trapper. A, well, not a trapper yet, but I think he will be this fall. Guy Brandon from Wisconsin, and he had some questions about getting started trapping, and we had a, a nice discussion, and he asked a whole pile of questions. I, I hope that I helped him out and to get started in the right direction. And uh, I recorded that, and, and we decided that... Uh, we'll put that on a podcast episode to uh to let you guys listen into it as well so thanks again for tuning in and uh, let's get into the interview kyle kotz back from kotz brothers lures good to have you here again
1: yeah thanks again for having me it's it's been a lot of fun and i i was just telling my brother here before you called it's it's kind of i haven't wrote a lot of articles the past couple of years i it's not that I've lost the, the writing desire, but it's just something that it's not a priority. And, you know, ha- talking to you on the podcast is kind of that creative, the article writing part of me. It's kind of the podcast is kind of a creative release, I guess, to go through and talk about them, different things that I ordinarily sit down and, and write about. And then the, the other thing that's that's really fascinating is is like I've sent out our email newsletter, hey, I'm on on trapping today podcast i've gotten so much feedback like i mean it's just insane to me how much you know i, I think you mentioned like 300 downloads on the podcast and i wrote articles and magazines that had 30,000 circulations and you hear nothing out of right. 30,000 readers <laughs> and you got 300 people listening and, and, and probably 10% of them have commented so yeah. it's like hey that's kind of cool it's you know it's 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 something you like to know people are are are, are interested or that you have an audience that's, that's, uh, you know, uh, any kind of creative type endeavor. I think that's the biggest reward. So, I mean, that's, that's been these past couple of weeks. I've been really shocked I I also, I was kind of, I kind of almost felt stupid. I, I yesterday or the past couple of days, I've had a little bit of time and just doing odd jobs like making snares where I could listen to some of your past podcasts. And, um, I always open your email, but you know, a lot of times I don't really have time to sit down and, and listen to the podcast. But uh, last week I had a an email from Jim Furman. Hey, really enjoyed the podcast, and and I thought, man, that name half sounds familiar. And yeah, I went, back <laughs> and saw he was one of your guests, and I listened to that. And, I mean, it was just like, man, he's a fascinating guy.
0: <laughs> yeah, it really was a pretty pretty interesting interview, wasn't it?
1: Uh huh. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's neat to talk to those kind. Of, I guess it's like listening to that and and. I have distant relations that homesteaded in Alaska, and, and I have had email conversations with them, and just the the whole culture and being a trapper in Alaska or or the Yukon Northwest Territories that area of the world just just it's it's called trapping, but it's so different than what trapping is here in the Midwest or or the Lower Forty Eight even. Right. Yep.
0: yeah oh I hate to break it to you Kyle but I just looked at the stats we're 546 uh, from last week's episode so
1: <laughs> Ooh, really hey we're growing that <laughs> yeah that's pretty awesome
0: <laughs> but I absolutely when I started doing the podcast just a few episodes in I was like you know I, I want to try this the same deal with I like to write but I think of an idea for an article I start writing a little bit and then I move on to something else and it just I don't sit down and take the time to do it. There's some block there with writing to actually force yourself to do it. But when I turn on the recorder and I just go, it allows me to express all of those ideas that I was going to write about. Um, So so to me, I was like, all right, this is easier. I'll do it. And I did a few episodes and it was that reaction was where, you know, when people hear your voice and it's almost like having a conversation, you get so much more feedback. So that's what kind of motivated me to keep going with it.
1: And and like today to talk about trapping in New Mexico, I've I, I wrote I wrote articles in Trappers World. I was editor at the time, and I wrote a lot about New Mexico and my experiences there. And so to sit down and write an article about New Mexico, I feel like I've done that before. Whereas if we have a conversation about New Mexico, it's totally different. It could go <laughs> you know, any
0: direction <laughs> we want to take it.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. For sure.
0: So speaking of New Mexico. Uh, Actually, I I talked to a few other people, um, and a couple of them I, I'm sure you know. Uh, when I was at Neil Olson's, uh, Neil and J.P. Wilson went to New Mexico and talked a lot about it, and uh, it was yeah, yep. it was really it kind of opened my eyes, and as far as the opportunities there in the land that was available for for trappers, and and uh, how trapper friendly this the place seemed to be.
1: Yeah, well, that's a, that's a good a, a, a good starting point for our conversation about New Mexico is is that JP he he uh, he my New Mexico DVD I, I'm not the most proud of that DVD it was my first DVD it's not very good quality but I think JP Wilson has probably made that himself made that my most viewed DVD <laughs> uh, he's probably he he, he, he wore, it, wore it out and uh. So, JP and I would text a lot, and he he was always texting about New Mexico and wanted to go down there. And and the way I got to New Mexico, Wayne Derrick introduced me to this rancher. And while I was down there, I of course met other people. And one guy I met, his name was Fred Fairbreak, and he lived right in in the town where where uh, where I'd get gas and everything. And and Fred rode with me a couple of times, and he was a real a real good asset. He knew the land and. uh uh, it was just, he, he taught me a lot about where things were. And so I had told JP, I said, you know, if you want to talk to somebody, give Fred a call, you know, he would be a good, if you want to find somewhere to trap, mm-hmm. go, talk to Fred. And, and I know JP and Fred have become friends and JP actually traps the ranch where, where I spent most of my time in New Mexico. And uh, so that, that was, a uh, I. I, it was kind of funny because JP would text me and questions and stuff, and he has caught more fur off that ranch than
0: I did when I was there. <laughs> <laughs> and it seems like what a lot of people have done is they start by going to New Mexico and trapping public land, uh, which there is a lot of, and then they, they mm-hmm. meet ranchers while they're down there uh, through different people and then get on to some private ranches.
1: Yeah, correct. Uh, that that ranch where I was at uh, was about two hundred sections, <laughs> and I would say that uh, probably eighty-five percent of it was state or BLM land, and then you have private land. Obviously, wherever there's a ranch, a ranch house, that's private, and and I think a lot of the areas where they had stock tanks or corrals, you know, there would be. S- maybe a hundred acres that would be private, basically all, all those, um, spots that, that they, um, either moved cattle into or loaded cattle, um, head feed bins, dirt, uh, stock tanks, that kind of stuff would, would end up being on private ground. But like the, one of the first days I was there and I was kind of asked, we were talking about it and, and the, uh, the cowboy there on the rancher kind of was was their one employee he told me he said you know he said yeah it's technically private but he said in this part of the world he said there's people come and dove hunt and stuff and he's like we don't most people are respectful and he's like we we might not even go there for two weeks we don't even know they're ever there so he said don't he said generally you know it's common courtesy if you get off of our ranch just if you want to get off of our ranch." Just let a, one of us know, we'll call the neighbor and let them know. That it'll, be, it'll be no problem. But I had, that first year I was down there, I mean, I had so much so much ground that I, I mean, I, I, I couldn't even get to the edges of the ranch, but alone get off of it. Right, so
0: for people who haven't been out west, a section is a square mile, 640 acres. And how many sections Correct. did you say were, were in this ranch? Two, two hundred. Okay, so <laughs> it's a... Uh, It's hard to even fathom that when you trap back east.
1: Yeah, the quick math on that is 128,000
0: acres.
1: (laughs) So, I mean, that's, I'd have to look it up, but I mean, that's close to the same size as the county I live in here in (laughs) a And and the hit. (sighs) the history of that ranch at one time it was it covered most of the southern New Mexico into Arizona and part of West Texas. Uh it it, it was it's it, it's kind of fascinating. Um there there is a lot of history to some of the different ranches and, and that family that had that ranch ride trapped, you know, they it was multi generational um deal and uh it was it was it was kind of intriguing to learn some of some of that.
0: A lot of history out there
1: yeah yep yeah.
0: So when we talked about your trapping in Iowa and then in down in Mississippi and Alabama, you you said around that time you had this desire to go to to New Mexico. so that's kind of when it all started.
1: Yeah I I, I think all along, um, going back to before Iowa, I always had this thing about uh, it would be cool to be able to trap coyotes like, Peterson, like O'Gorman, um, I read about like Charlie Dobbins, some of his state hopping out west. And so I had this in my head that this this wild what and that's maybe not the right word, but this wild west where the the land is just endless and and you could just go and trap, which was very appealing to me. However, at first, I didn't have access to it. I didn't have the experience. I didn't have the equipment. I didn't have. A place to stay in which I mean I camped out in my trailer there um when I traveled to New Mexico. So I had to go to Iowa, I had to go to Mississippi. I had to go to those places first because in essence it was maybe a little bit easier. Um and then I I I'd gotten to where I was a little more confident and and the I was real. I guess I got to a point where I was really willing to take the risk to go a lot further. Man. And I was also willing to camp out with the dog in the trailer. And I didn't care if I took a shower or not. And, <laughs> and then I, I gotten to become friends with Wayne Derrick. And I was, I was looking at just going down there and trapping public ground, um, kind of along the Mexico border. And I was, I remember talking to JC Connor. And I, I showed him on a ma- map I was going to go to this area and trap bobcats and Grey Fox. He said, Kyle, that's a good area to go to get your head blowed off. <laughs> right on the border. And he said yeah. it's just like that. That's and hilarious. I was like, oh, really? <laughs> so I got to talking to Wayne about it then, too. And of course, Wayne lives in New Mexico and, and trapped a lot of areas across the state and in Texas, too. So he's very familiar with the region. And he said, well, he said, it's not so much that. It's just, he said, that's, that area is it's not a real good fur producing part of the state he said you'd really struggle there to find animals hmm. but he said if you want to just come down and trap he said there's a ranch about i think it was about an hour and 15 minutes from south of him he said i he said it's family friends i grew up with them guys and he said i haven't trapped it in years but he said i'm sure they'd be happy to have it. he said i bet it uh he said the last time anybody trapped down there he said it was me and it's been 10 or 12 years so you're <laughs> wow. basically untouched he said if you want to come down I'll introduce you to them guys and he said I'm, I'm sure they'd be happy to have you and I mean that was Wayne gave me the winning line I oh absolutely he said, I mean that was that was a, a huge uh a huge deal and,
0: didn't, and, didn't you tell me one time it's not what you know it's who you know
1: Oh, hundred percent, and and I've always left out. I mean, I I owe a lot to Wayne. I mean, my success in New Mexico totally I I give that credit right to Wayne. He uh, he, and Wayne is somebody that has just a, a ton of experience, and and uh, you know I I remember just I, riding around with Wayne is just such an education. Um, and he, he's got a wicked sense of humor. So, I mean, you put them two to two together and, and I, I just, that is what I probably remember more than anything about New Mexico is the time I actually got to drive around with Wayne and, and learn from him. And most of the time just laugh and his, his, he'd have just one of them guys that I, I would say, uh, I can think of a few other guys I've met that, uh, has spent a lot of time pursuing coyotes and, they just, they seem to always have an endless supply of jokes and, and <laughs> knowledge and knowledge to go with it.
0: <laughs> yeah. So why wasn't there anybody trapping around there? There's not a lot of people? Um,
1: well, it's just, that's how a lot of places are. I mean, you just don't, you don't have um, a lot of trapping pressure um, in a lot of places. Um, a lot of it, you know, to produce to produce a lot of fur, I mean, you spend so much money in gas that a lot of local people, I mean, if they can get a job in the oil fields where they might be making $80 an hour, I mean, they're not going to run around and chase clients that are worth $25. Sure. I mean, they might shoot one or two here on a weekend, but but it's just not something that's on the radar. So um, there's, there's a lot of places that, uh, you know, we talked about Mississippi last last week it's kind of the same way where you just don't have people interested in trapping in some places. And, and so there's not a lot of pressure and, and I just lucked out that I found one of them places in, in New Mexico.
0: And it was primarily coyotes you were going after. Uh, I'm assuming you also trap bobcats there.
1: Um, yeah, I, that, that ranch, I was primarily trapping coyotes. There was a few washes and stuff that, that I set for, you know, specifically four bobcats and caught bobcats um that first year i caught um what was it 102 coyotes which my goal was i wanted to catch 100 i think i caught six cats and nine badgers and one swift fox which i was really happy to catch that swift fox that was kind of a neat thing yeah um so there was no that area where i was at was was all sand country and there was no gray fox there Um, I did, so that first year I went down and trapped that ranch and then I had to go back home and, and at that time I was editing Trapper's World. So I had to put together the magazine, tie down some loose ends, and then I went back down and I, I, Wayne kind of pointed me in another direction, uh, mountain range.
0: This was the same Uh, season? You went back down? Yeah,
1: the same season. Yep. I I wrapped that up about February 1st, and then about, I think it was the first week of March, I went back down for a second trip.
0: So they have a pretty long um, trapping season there.
1: Yes. I think it went until March 15th, if I remember right. Okay. Um, So I went back down there, and I went west of Carlsbad up in the mountains. Um, It was all public land, and I just found a spot to park the trailer there, and me and the dingo camped out. And it got. I remember the dingo was just. A, uh, he was pretty young then, and and he'd always want to sleep in the bed. But the one night I just had a little propane heater, and it got down to like eight degrees, <laughs> and he wanted to go sleep in the cage. And it's like, come on, dingo, you gotta, you know, sleep sleep on the cot with me, keep me warm. And it was just, <laughs> it was, it was tough. I didn't, I didn't catch a real lot then. I, I think I caught oh, two, two more bobcats two or three more bobcats uh four or five gray fox i caught a, a hognose skunk um and i i don't remember if i caught maybe four or five coyotes and i i trapped up there in the mountains for eight days it just it was just tough tough country um I caught a mountain lion that pulled out and, <laughs> and that one that one canyon where i spent a lot of time was just there was a lot of mountain lions there um and it was just very arid rough like desert mountains, uh, looking at the time I was disappointed. I, 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 it rained too, which was, uh, on the ranch, it hadn't rained but like one day and you could still get around when I was in the mountains. It got to rain. It, it, it rained like three of the eight days. It was tough to get around. I was really afraid to get stuck. And, and I was like, like, I think it was 88 miles to get to the gas station. So I didn't know anybody. At that point, if I got stuck, my call would be to Wayne, and he was like three and a half hours away. <laughs> <laughs> so I was I, I was pretty cautious as far as I didn't want to get stuck. So I ended up, um, a couple of those days, me and the dog would just you know, basically walk the canyon there to check those few traps. So it was hard to get going there. And then one of the last days I was there, I was shutting a gate and uh, about to get back in a truck, and a rancher pulled up. And he was a real nice guy and I, I don't even remember his name now, but he told me, he's like, Well my God, he said if I known you were trapping he said, You could park down at our ranch house and camp and we own and you know, it was another big I don't remember, he had like sixty sections there <laughs> kind of right along the mountain range and it's like, dang it, I should've if I had known yeah. um you know, if I had ran into him on day two, it would have been totally different. Right. Because you know I was trying I was oh, that was the other thing too I, you know I was being very cautious as far as I didn't want to get onto there was some private land there, so I wanted to make sure I stood stayed up in the mountains where it was all public, yeah, and you know if I had ran- ran into him initially, it would have totally been a a little bit different situation but um I didn't plan on staying up there as long as I had trapped on the ranch. It was more, I wanted to catch a few higher dollar Bobcats. And I, at that time, um, I, I sold the, the first cat I caught was pretty nicely spotted Tom. And I think I sold him for like $330. Wow. And, you know, nowadays, now since then, you know, cats have definitely that $330 cat, uh, on today's market would probably be seven fifty eight hundred, um, but at the time that was a big. I felt like I accomplished a big goal. Right. Uh, just see, seeing some different country and really, I felt like that was. I, I didn't catch a lot, but just more or less battling the the battling Mother Nature and and I felt like I. I could have done a lot worse, I guess.
0: <laughs> right, and and generally, those higher elevation dry areas are uh, tend to be much less productive uh, than the lower uh, bottomlands, right?
1: Yeah, and, and you know, there, at that time, I, I can imagine it's very similar. A lot of those areas too, where you have such a mountain lines have such a, a stronghold, the prey base just isn't there. I mean, you you don't have. The, there no, there was no cattle or sheep in those mountains. Um, there was a lot of mountain lions. Very few mule deer. Um, there were some rabbits, but it's just a lot tougher area for a coyote or a bobcat to make a living. Mm-hmm. Um, so you didn't have a lot of them.
0: So the coyotes were so especially in March, like in the winter, they're probably somewhere down around the uh, the sheep and the cattle. Um, and, and maybe where yeah. the water was.
1: Yeah, that before I went out west, I, I, J.C. Connor, I spent a lot of time talking to him. He had trapped New Mexico and Arizona both a lot of years, had a lot of experience in the southwest. And he gave me great advice. He said the coyotes are in the cows. And yeah. I found that to be very true. Um, even though the rancher didn't necessarily experience a lot of losses to coyotes, um, they – where where you had pastures that there was cattle um the coyotes were generally there i think a lot of it is where there's cattle the ranchers are maintaining a water source and of course during during calving season the coyotes are going to eat some there's always an afterbirth to eat um and and so just the 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 the, what the cattle bring there um you know it kind of makes life a little easier for the coyotes and And I, I quickly, you know, it's it's tough to trap rate amongst the cattle. But I started noticing that, you know, if you had a pasture that did have cattle in it, the outskirts held a lot of good area, good locations where coyotes are kind of coming in and out of, of, those areas that that had water and had cattle.
0: Sure. So going after these coyotes, what kind of sets were you making? Were you snaring? Were you foothold primarily?
1: Um, I was, I think in my time in New Mexico, um, I made three trips down there and I think was snared one coyote, the restaurant and footholds. And, um, I guess I, I was listening to one of your other podcasts with Ron, with Ron Jones yesterday and, and I totally a method based on location trapper. So <laughs> <laughs> I pulled into it. And, good,
0: that's good think about that. Yeah, yeah.
1: It, it, yeah, if I if I pulled into a spot and, and you know, there was a nice flat rock along a trail that just screamed for a flat set, I made a flat set. Um, some places are so rocky that you had to make flat sets. Um, other places are so windy that you had to make flat sets because the dirt holes were just blow shut. Um, and then there'd be other spots where you'd pull in and you'd see gopher holes all over a place and it just it looked like a dirt hole set to start with. So I'd, I'd make dirt holes there. And then there was other places that, um, you had a, a lot of, uh, a lot of jackrabbits and you could see holes. So I would dig a dirt hole that was eight inches wide. Um, just whatever presented itself. I used some blind sets for Bobcats with two traps. I did that a lot. Um, so just, uh, most everything was on drags. Um, probably, uh, maybe five percent of the places I could actually stake a trap down, and if that it was, was that because of the soil, it was it was, it was so rocky. Yeah, um, a lot a lot of the places, you, you know, you an eighteen inch stake would go in about nine inches in sand, wow. <laughs> and then you just hit rock. Um, and so that was one advantage is, is trapping down there. It was like trapping in a sandbox, and when it rained it didn't it actually made it a little bit better really, yeah. uh, because you could bet you could bed things more solid and and the ground actually firmed up a little bit because you're basically trapping in a desert and i mean it did rain a little bit but it basically had zero effect on on your sets whereas you know if you take if you took a one inch rain in illinois you have to basically redo everything because of the mud whereas there uh, it wasn't even an inch i don't think but i mean it a half inch there would be a pretty wicked storm and um you know i can't i'd have to look back at my notes i remember it raining a little bit and r- literally in two days it's bone dry again um <laughs> it's just so dry that it 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 makes it really easy to maintain the trap line there uh because your traps are kind of always working it seems
0: so you're not uh, gumbo country that that thick, sticky clay, like a lot of the High Plains country experiences.
1: No, no, that was, that was arid desert Sandhills country, yeah.
0: yeah. Huh. Mm-hmm. And uh, the drags, I'm guessing you're using something like J.C. Connor makes, those big, heavy drags? Yeah,
1: I I primarily used his two-pound two pound tracker drag, and I, I had some of the four-pound uh, four drags, too, but that two-pound drag was very universal, and <clears throat> I... I had good good luck with them. I, I liked them a lot.
0: So they get hung up in open country pretty good
1: Yeah, I mean there were some some areas that were real grassy that I I I would um, try to try to dig the drag into uh, uh, a Mesquite bush or something just to, to kind of give it a stronghold because sometimes they go go a long ways I did I did have a few coyotes where I, I can remember spending an hour tracking and looking around. And and I, at one spot, that one pasture, there was there's a lot of antelope there. It was real grassy. And I pulled up the one day, and there was a, the drag trail went right across the road, and I could see it. And I walked around and around with the dog, and, and the best I can tell is that coyote, the, the drag got kind of balled up. And uh, the coyote made a circle and came back towards the road <laughs> because I walked around like I say for probably 45 minutes or an hour there, and I got back to the truck and I just like frustrated like where in the world is this coyote? And then the dog started barking, and here, literally 20 feet from the truck, there's a coyote, and I had just probably <laughs> walked in circles for two miles, <laughs>
0: oh, and,
1: and there, there he was. And and I remember that kind of taught me something because the drag, the drag, and the chain. It got so balled up in the grass that it got to the point where, where the drag was no longer. He, you know, he's just pulling a grass ball, and then right. eventually got that grass ball wadded up there around around a, uh, a mesquite bush. And but I, I didn't have that happen too often. I mean, most of them. A, a lot of times they they get caught up within ten feet. You know, you could see the coyote when you pulled up to the set. Yeah, um, but there was a few times I I had to look a
0: little bit. So it, 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 primarily, I, I did an article a little while back on drags versus stakes, and you know the advantages. Of course, it's not legal to use drags where I trap right now, uh, but with drags, you're you know a lot of this would not be the primary reason a lot of people use drags is to to hide the catch. This would be more um, because you can't get them in the ground, you can't get stakes in the ground, and also. The, that animal's not messing up your set when you uh when you get a catch
1: well I would say that the, the for me personally you know hiding an animal with a drag anytime you want to hide an animal with the drag they get they'll get the drag stuck on the on the yellow line going down the middle of the road <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I would say I would say hide hiding it catches is, is definitely not was never my motivation it was more so here's a great location here's a lot of coyote tracks but it's so rocky that there is nowhere to there's no way to get a stake in and you know I've heard guys running cables to trees and stuff and that the cables just not gonna hold up to the coyote whereas Whereas a drag with, unbot, I was running mostly eight to 10 feet of chain and all machine welded chain. Um, it just easier and, uh, you know, it makes it easier to trap a good location essentially. And, yeah. you know, that kind of going back to what I said, the, the method based on location and, and, and most of the locations in that part of the world dictate that you should use a drag here.
0: Are you burying that drag in the trap bed underneath the, the trap?
1: Yeah, for, for the most part, a lot of the locations, you know, you could just take your hands and in about two, it's literally like playing in the kid's sandbox.
0: That's just amazing. You could
1: take your, <laughs> yeah, you could take your hand and in two scoops, dig a trap bed, put the drag in it, push a little sand on top, bed the trap and push sand on top of it. And I mean, I would, I was still using a sifter over the top just because I didn't want any fine rocks covering the trap. But, um, yeah, it was, it was mostly, uh, most of the time I would bury the drag. There was other places where it was so rocky that you're basically, I would actually get a couple shovelfuls of sand to bed the trap in and, uh, I basically was setting a trap bedded on top of a rock, and there. I, in those instances, I would just throw the drag back in the weeds.
0: Yeah, and it didn't or, seem or it didn't in it the rocks. to bother the coyote uh, any. Hard to tell, really.
1: It, 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 yeah, it's, and again, I was fur trapping. I I was just looking to catch the dumb ones. If you know, If I was getting paid to catch the smart ones. Maybe I'd reanalyze some of that with, with bobcats. I definitely don't think they care one bit right. but with coyotes. You know, there, I think there's instances where you wouldn't want to just throw the drag up in the rocks or, or in the bush.
0: Now, did that sand country make it tougher to bed traps?
1: Um, at times, maybe a little bit, but for the most part, it, it's, it's, it's a little different too, because when you're bedding in sand and animals are walking in sand, I think sometimes they're a little more tolerant. Oh, ah, yeah,
0: that makes sense. Some,
1: you know, some yeah.
0: a little movement. bit of play. Um, yeah,
1: they're they're yeah they're they're walking. Their feet are sinking in half an inch to start with. Whereas uh, when they're walking on frozen ground in Illinois and they step on something that moves, yeah, they're a little more curious.
0: Then. Sure. Yeah, I hadn't even thought of that. That's a good point. Yeah. So, what type of traps?
1: Um, oh, a, a a wide variety. I I really like at the time this is this is pre MB five fifty, and I I think you know the MB five fifty um, had it been available, I probably would would have had a few of them. But um, my two main traps were number two Montgomery. Well, I should say not two. I had about four main traps. Uh, <laughs> MB six fifty cash jaws were kind of my go to, especially on Bobcats. Um, I had accumulated some old three ends, and I put pause. I trip pans on them. I like them. Yep. Uh, and and in them spots where it was hard to bed, having the long spring, um, I would use them in those situations because it's a it's more stable on its own. Sure. Um, yeah. I had uh, number two Montgomery round jaws. One of my all time classic favorite traps. And I had one and three quarter Northwoods that I had modified and put pause trip pans on. I had a lot of uh, number three, Montgomery dog lists. I, I always was a fan of Montgomery traps. And then I had, um, I had Bridger number three offset. Mod- Everything was mo- fully modified and offset jaws. Um, don't they I have
0: don't... offset? Is that a regulation in New Mexico? Uh,
1: yeah, actually. Yeah. That, that's a good point. I, I always used offsets anyhow, but but that was actually the law there too. Yep.
0: Were there any other regulations that were uh, uh, made it a challenge there, or, or uh, anything that was different than where other places you trapped?
1: No, not that I can really remember. That was it was pretty pretty liberal. Though I mean the offset thing. Would be about the only regulation that stands out in my mind but it didn't matter because i'm a big proponent of offset jaws for predator traps anyhow so i didn't i didn't own a regular jaw. i take that back i did have some jc connor jake traps i had like maybe two or three of them but they're padded jaws so yeah you could use padded jaw traps did not need to be offset if i remember right i'm almost certain so it was offset or padded um and so, I mean, I didn't, that was, that didn't affect me because I was, my traps all met that anyhow.
0: Yeah. And that's, was that like a two or three day check?
1: Uh, that was a 24 hour
0: check. It was, okay. Which I guess when you're, when you're out there camping, it doesn't really matter unless you're, you know, you could still run quite a few traps every day.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I think I got to, like at my peak, I was, I had like 200 sets out.
0: Jeez, and, that's a long day.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I was setting pretty heavy, and a lot of it too. I mean, it's it's easy to maintain a lot of a lot of traps there. Um, again, when you're trapping coyotes, it's not like trapping coon where you're catching. I was catching like three to five coyotes a day. I think my best day was seven. Okay. Um, so not it's not like. Yeah, it, I mean, in I would say. Th- it was that first year one of the things that stood out about new mexico is catching like in illinois if i caught a coyote a lot of times the remake would catch you know you'd catch a coyote initially then you'd catch two or three more coyotes on the remake that first year in new mexico it was like i'd catch a coyote if, if i pulled if i had two sets on a location i noticed hey i caught a coyote in this set and then the next day or two days later i'd have a coyote in the other set. And then I'd have two or three days I wouldn't catch nothing. So I'd put a fresh set in and bang, I'd catch another coyote. Really? Huh. So that's how I got up to having 200 sets out is I started adding fresh sets at those spots and picking up additional coyotes. Um, because I noticed it was just weird. They were not real aggressive about, about remakes. They what didn't, was
0: going on didn't there? Really like them.
1: I don't know. It just, I've run into that in different scenarios, different forms. Or for whatever reason. And it can change year to year, too. And that's, that's one of them things. I just chalk it up to, you know, coyotes being a coyote. We could analyze it for for 15 <laughs> podcasts. Yeah. And still, we don't have a coyote telling us why that is that way. So, I guess I've just chalked that up as... I don't necessarily need to know why, <laughs> right? As long as you know how to. I mean, <laughs> yep,
0: as long as you can deal with it, and, and it sounds yeah. Like... There's
1: a there's a solution. Make <laughs> sure you have fresh sets, you know, for for them to to look at, and, and also some fresh smells. Um, I kind of I listened to that Ron Jones podcast yesterday, and that was something he talked about. That I was kind of impressed with that interview as a whole. But you know, having if you just use one bait or one lure at a at a set it kind of limits things. And I, I really, that first year on the, on the ranch trapping coyotes, it really taught me a lot that, you know, at one location, if I have two sets, I'd probably have the minimum of four different smells between them two sets. Mm. And then I also was, was, was using, started kind of experimenting with more eye appeal. Um so I would I would put jackrabbits down big dirt holes so that if Coyote came into the set he would see some fur down in the bottom. Yep. Um and so I I I think that uh you know to totally understand why the remakes weren't productive in on that trap line in that particular situation. I have no idea. And I, I don't think you know, like I say, there's been whole bro- books you know, trying to summarize why that is. And ultimately, I don't know that we need to know why that is, all we need to know is if we keep fresh sets working, that we'll still catch coyotes. So to me, um, I didn't need to know or understand why, I just, I knew there was a solution to keep catching coyotes, and that's what I tried to focus on.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, Now, going, going along this line, uh, one of the things that I think about when you're going to a new country and in some cases it, it all looks the same, uh, how do you decide how, like, where to put your sets, how far apart to space your sets? Are you, are you judging it based on distance? Are you just waiting to look for sign and maybe go five, 10 miles and not make a set if you don't see sign? Are you going straight by the odometer? Um, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, I, that brings up a good story. Uh, the summer before I actually trapped in New Mexico I went to the Arizona state convention and on my way to Arizona I stopped and rode with Wayne for two or three days and at the time he was he was doing predator control work in on a ranch uh, in the sheep country it was more mountainous and really steep you know you had these Like canyons where your voice would echo, and then other spots it would kind of straighten out a little bit. And there was rough, rugged, rocky mountains mixed in too. And and I remember going along, and I told Wayne, I said, I kind, I basically asked him the question you just asked me, like, I'm not sure. And he said, Kyle, I said, it's no different than a cornfield back home where you're trapping. He said the locations are the same, the coyotes are the same, the the terrain's just different. He said it's the easiest spot. The coyotes going to walk. He said, it's still, you're still looking at crossroads, intersections, uh, uh, essentially crop changes in the mountains. And, uh, it's like, Oh, okay. And then, then like the next spot we pulled into Wayne said, well, where would you set here? And I said, Oh, I'd probably make a set there. You know, I pointed out three spots. He said, that's exactly where I would set them. (laughs) (laughs) And and that really built my confidence then, like it, it clicked. And and so that whole day, Wayne and I like just talked about location and uh, and Wayne too, like we, we talked about bobcats and stuff. And he's like, you know, you could walk way up this canyon to that rock outcrop and you catch a bobcat. He said, or that same bobcat's going to cross the road right here. So you could just catch them at the road, and not have to walk all the way. There. <laughs> and, and Wayne just had had a humorous take, and just so many experiences and stories that that I started to see quickly that it it's you're, you're driving down a two track road, and in some pastures, it, you you might. Make a couple sets here, and then you might drive for eight miles before you come across another location because it's just featureless and there's absolutely nothing there. You don't see any coyote tracks, Mm -hmm. but then, I one area of the ranch was like it was just a grid of of oil field road roads, and so there was more roads, more intersections, and then you start to look at you know some of the long running roads that coyotes were actually traveling. You might have a couple sets here, and you might go half a mile and having two more sets because there's more coyote sign there. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't really. I've never been one to like set traps by a scientific method and say you should set every so many miles. Uh, not. It's just. It's just on instinct and on feel, and it's just. It's really no different than trapping a, a farm here in Illinois. Some farms that there's just a spot where you might make two or three sets. And then the next farm you might have 12 sets at just because of the way the terrain is the way the coyotes are traveling. Um, some spots there are no coyote tracks to see really. And you just set them anyhow and you catch coyotes. Some spots in New Mexico are so dang rocky that you can't see coyote tracks, but just the way the, the way that the draw meets the road, you know that that's where the coyote's going to be because it's the easiest spot for him to be. It's the easiest spot for the coyote to make a living. Um, He's not going to walk up over a a big rocky outcropping when he can just come around the side of it, essentially. I mean, I think predators manage their energy very well. Um, So you can kind of, after a couple days and after you make a couple catches and after you spend a couple hours with a guy like Wayne, things just really click. Um, and then you're kind of going, going on instinct. Um, no different than I talked to a lot of Midwestern coon trappers that you can drive down the interstate at 65 miles an hour and say, Oh, I bet there's going to be a coon trail crossing up there and you get there and sure enough, there's a coon trail. Yeah. And like my wife would say, why would you even like pay attention? How did, how did you know that you do? (laughs) <laughs> unexplainable.
0: Do you drive and, do you drive so, for crazy when you guys are on road trips and you see oh that would be a good spot to set a trap. Oh, look at that beaver sign there.
1: <laughs> I, not not really. <laughs> um we well first off we like to be home so we don't to go any, any road trips. <laughs> yeah. But I mean I probably could if I if I did I I I generally don't I, the thing that I guess i point out to her more so is it's the same way like I'll be driving. And it's like, oh, there's a flock of geese or there's two pintails. How do you know they're pintails? <laughs> I just do. I it. That's how... I've, I know that duck. That's what that is. <laughs> yeah. So
0: yeah. <laughs> no, the thing that drives me uh, crazy, there's human nature setting up traps. Is uh, you know, I've I've got a few spots in a row that I make sets, and then I that that six seven miles of no traps, and I'm driving by it. It just kills me, and uh, it's, uh, it's something you just have to uh, you 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 have to discipline yourself, I guess, Mm-mm. to yeah. to understand well, that. It-
1: that, those spots in New Mexico—that's gen, generally when I uh, when I ate my sandwich or had a drink, and <laughs> yeah. you, know, you, you know you got a little ways to drive. Um, uh, I've never been one to worry too much about you know, and I had places in New Mexico where you you have to turn around at the back of the canyon or, and drive back out. And, and even like road lining in Iowa, I had spots where I would turn around and backtrack a mile or two. And I felt like sometimes locations warrant that, you know, having to build a continuous loop and that's, that's not practical. And when I was in New Mexico, my trapline was shaped like a figure eight and where I stayed was in the middle. So about lunchtime every day, I actually came back out at w- at my campsite, basically. So if I needed to restock something or or grab something to eat, I got right back to there, and then I would finish the second part of the, uh, the figure eight. And yeah. that wasn't, I didn't do it that way by design necessarily. Like I wasn't intending for it to work out that way, but just the way the roads were and the way it turned out, uh, that's how it worked <laughs> yep. so and that was kind of a, it's kind of nice to have that you know if you're if all at once you know you going down there I, I my truck was so weighted down that you know I took a lot of equipment out and stuff and I just tried to have with me what I needed for that day because it makes it easier to get around um, versus driving around with a loaded down truck full of drags and all this stuff because when you're hauling that's Something like I just don't think about you know to go that far away and to haul, you know, to, I probably had twenty dozen J.C. Conner drags. Uh, you, you you got a few thousand pounds worth of, of steel with you you're that right. you're not going to just leave all that in the back of the truck. So being able to come back out at a campsite, I kind of like that because you know everything. It always, no matter how great your equipment is, you always. You have those days where a coyote tears a dog off or pops a spring out and you, oh, I didn't remember that I didn't have any more urine left in the bottle. So being able to stop and, you know, top off urine and do little things like that, grab a bite to eat, it kind of kind of was nice that the, it worked out that way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, speaking of those coyotes, um, in, in Kellen's Black Book of Coyote Trapping, he talks about uh, travel patterns on certain farms and like, you'll catch, uh, you correct me if I, if I get this wrong, but, uh, you'll make a catch one particular day. And oftentimes it can be like, uh, what, like seven days or so before that group of coyotes will move back through that particular farm. Um, is, did you notice any of that in New Mexico?
1: Yeah. Um, and the funny thing, the first year I was there, I, I had 30 checks And my peak, my best catches came on days, like, 24 through 29. (laughs) And, and, you know, I'm trapping all the same country. So, yeah, I mean, there's definitely, with coyotes, there's always factors that come into play that that can spike coyote movements. Um, And, you know, it's, like, it's so much different versus, like, trapping Iowa coon probably the first two days are going to be your best catches and then the trap line is going to start to taper off and, and then you need to either move pull traps and move trap lines or totally switch gears in some way. Whereas are coyotes. You kind of just got to be patient at times. Um, in, in that scenario, in that country, um, it's, it's something where I, Kind of plan and i wasn't going to if the catch dropped off i was not going to pull pull traps and move someplace because when you're trapping coyotes and catching three to five a day some days you might have two and a badger and and i i think i i only had that first year i only had one day where i did not catch a coyote um and it was right towards the end of the trip and then it spiked again. I, I think I I'd have to go back and look at my notes, but it was just the way a front came through. And I remember talking to Wayne and he's like, yeah, I haven't caught hardly anything. There was like a two, day, two to three day window. There were nothing really moved. Hmm. And then I came out of that and had like a five coyote day. And it, then I, because I doubted, I, I remember I got to, I had caught 92 coyotes and I wanted that for whatever reason, that hundred number. Yeah. Of, yeah. We, I, I wanted to break that and I was at coyote 92 and it took me to get uh coyote 93 I had to wait those two days and then I think I had two and then I had another day where I had one And it was just such a challenge and then I had like I finished strong um I I think I I on day twenty nine, I got I finished with an even hundred, and then I knew I had to get back and do the magazine stuff. And I decided, well, I got my hundred. Whatever happens tomorrow, I'm pulling everything. Yeah. Um, and I, I actually I think I pulled part of the line, so I, I I didn't have to pull the entire line. But but that last day, then I had two more coyotes, so I kind of felt good about that.
0: Yeah, that's a good lesson for people who who set up an area and three, four days go by and they don't catch anything, you know, just, uh, yeah. sometimes you just got to stick yeah. it out.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I would say like, like when I trapped Northern Maine, it's kind of the same way. It, any, anywhere that's real isolated, kind of remote, and you're trapping coyotes, uh, y- you, you got to ride out some, some tough days and it's, can be a challenge cause it kind of, kind of makes you question things at times. And it's just, those are the days you just need to make sure your traps are still functioning and, and kind of be patient because things will turn around when it's when the target animal is a coyote.
0: Yeah. Um, what was the pelt, pelt quality of those coyotes? Were they worth, uh, were they pretty good? I mean, that's pretty far yeah, south, but you're in yeah, high that, elevation, right? Yeah,
1: I, I wasn't, um, I forget now. I think that ranch, I was only at like 3,500 feet or so. I think the highest point on that ranch is like maybe 4,800. 4, so I mean, it's relatively lower elevation there. Um, the biggest difference that I noticed: the coyotes, their their size, they're smaller, but they're they're a much heavier, better quality coyote than what I was used to catching in Illinois. Um, and that's most of the western coyotes are smaller in stature, but their fur quality is so much better than than like a midwestern coyote.
0: Yeah. So these these coyotes that you were Getting New Mexico, where, you know, they probably weren't Dakota Montana coyotes, but they're stacking up a lot better than the eastern coyotes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not at all
1: like a Dakota heavy type coyote at all. No, um, and you know the the southeast the the coyotes there are not the same as like a. A Montana, Wyoming heavy coyote. Um, but there are some in the, like in the New Mexico and the higher elevations, if you catch a coyote at 10,000 feet in New Mexico, he looked really, really nice. <laughs>
0: um, yeah.
1: so uh, yeah, I, I would say, uh, I mean, they, they don't stack up like that. Um, and they were also getting, I remember Wayne referred to him as Texas coyotes because I did catch a few coyotes that were bigger and had poor fur quality. Okay. Um, so that's one thing that you know as time goes by genetics and and stuff kind of kind of do affect fur qualities excuse me to where um, over time you know sometimes uh, an area of the fur quality will get better and other times it'll get worse and i I think a lot of it is is genetics uh, and and sometimes food uh, what they're eating I mean it's I think it's common knowledge that you are what you eat. So, I mean, if you eat, people that eat really healthy are in good shape and athletic and, and people that eat really poorly have health problems. And, And it's the same for the animals. And I, I think in that part of the, part of the world, um, their diet's not real diverse. I would say a lot of it is, is gophers and rabbits that they eat. Um, it's not like they have uh, a real diverse diet, whereas I would say a midwestern coyote can supplement with with um some some uh corn and and there's a uh a opportunity for a wider variety of, of of prey, whereas in the arid desert there's not a real diverse prey base there,
0: yeah. Well, Kyle, we are up against the clock. Is there anything else that uh, about New Mexico trapping you want to share with us before we uh, finish it I'm out?
1: <laughs> there's. I mean, there's. There's just a lot. I mean, that's. Uh, I was made three trips down there. Uh, Kellen and I went the final year, and uh, uh, it it's something we, we could probably talk uh, for weeks just about New Mexico if I got out my notes and looked at it because it's just <laughs> it's so vast and it was such a. Uh, uh, probably that first year in New Mexico on that ranch, I would say is my top favorite, most enjoyable line I've ever run. Really? Uh, it was just me, me and the, the dingo and we had an absolute blast. So yeah, I, I guess, uh, we could, we could leave it at that. Like I say, there's, there's, it was. Because it was so memorable, there's definitely a lot more stories that could be told, but, yeah.
0: but we only got
1: so many minutes. <laughs> well,
0: and, uh, thank God that the anti-trapping community didn't get their way this winter in the legislature in New Mexico because they tried to ban trapping on on public land. Right. Um, yeah, that, that was kind of it. That was a little scary. Yeah. Um, it, d- it did not yeah. pass, but uh, it, it very well could have. So.
1: yeah. Well and that's a credit to it to it. you got a lot of people working hard on on those types of issues and and they did a tremendous job to to get that win
0: yeah well Kyle so. thanks again for for being with us uh this week and uh, we hope to talk to you again soon
1: yeah I'll look forward to uh you know I'd mentioned the idea I'd like to take over the podcast and interview you so
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm nervous um, i I, uh, I think it'll be very interesting so I look forward yep. to that well, and uh,
1: Hopefully yeah, well, I'll, I'll look. I, I'm kind of looking more forward to to, to hijacking the the podcast and, and talking to you than than me being the one doing the <laughs> talking.
0: <laughs> All right, well, we'll have some fun, I'm sure.
1: So. Okay, thanks, Jeremiah. All
0: right, take care, Kyle. Thanks. Bye.